We greet you this morning in the name of Jesus, the great teacher, the Savior, the Messiah that came into the world, gave us much wisdom for our lives. We know that uh, in obeying him, we have communication with him, we have relationship with him, and we find salvation in following our Lord and in repenting of our sins and coming to Jesus as our Savior. It's a privilege to be here this morning with you and uh, to again be involved in the Bible school. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. We see the change of the seasons, and, and we enjoy the, the change of the seasons. We look forward to winter time, and then we look forward to spring and summer and fall, and we enjoy the change of the, the seasons. In Guatemala, we didn't have that, but we did have the rainy season and the dry season. And you either had the dust or the mud to uh, contend with, but uh, it was a, a good thing to see that also. At the, the change of the seasons, that God is faithful in that as long as the earth remaineth, there will be seed time and harvest. And certainly that is true in whatever climate there is. Now, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, then it goes on to say that there is a time to be born and a time to die. And it goes down through a list of things that there is a time to, to do one thing and a time to do the other. We get down... To verse 7, the time to rent, there's a time to sow things, and there's a, uh, there's a yeah, time to tear things and a time to sow them. And then the last part of the verse, a time to keep silence and a time to speak. When is the time to keep silence? Well, right now is one time when you're to sit silently as much as possible there is uh, when you go into a courtroom you're expected to be quiet there in the galleries of congress at the tomb of the unknown soldier in libraries and other places where silence is expected you will be silent some places it's only for a certain amount of time. There are some of us who like to talk more than others, and we have to be reminded sometimes that it's time to be quiet. One of the things that I do to bring in a little bit of income is that I drive for the Amish. There's an Amish family that they have a three-year-old daughter, and she is talking practically the whole time. If she's not talking Dutch, she's singing English. And I just enjoy that little Caitlin. She's a sweet little girl. But the, her older brothers don't talk when they're in the van with me. And uh, I said something to the parents about that, that Caitlin talks, but her brothers don't. And they said, well, she, she'll learn that after a while she's supposed to be quiet when we drive. <laughs> so it's something that we learn as we grow up, when to be quiet and when to talk. Talking 
reveals the thoughts of our hearts. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Matthew 12, 37 says, By thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And I think about that when I prepare a message, and especially this one, by thy words thou shalt be justified. If I preach it correctly, uh, I'll be justified. But if I don't practice it, by my own words I will be condemned. So I'm in a jeopardy here this morning to speak on this subject because I was raised in a family of people who love to talk. There are some interesting statements that have been said about silence. I have a list of them here. And probably you have heard several of these, if not all of them. The first one is silence is golden. The next one is better to keep silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Another one, you can tell a wise man by the clever things he does not say. Silence is when the sense of hearing rests and common sense goes to work. What does silence indicate? Silence indicates a grief-stricken heart, a guilty conscience, an unspoken empathy, a stuffed-in anger, an overcoming fear, or an inexpressible awe. Oh, it is practiced by a mind deeply engrossed in meditation or a dead body. When my father died, the, died, the doctor came, put his stethoscope on, the, on my father's chest, and he listened for a little. And then he said, it's awful quiet in there. The sixth one is, Nothing is a clever thing to say. Just don't say anything. I had to wonder, before creation was all silent, what was God doing? He had no one to talk to. Maybe the Trinity could talk among themselves. I'm not sure. I really don't understand what was going on before creation but I do know that the first words that are recorded in the Bible that were spoken was, let there be light. And there was light. Four words, let there be light, broke the silence. Or maybe it was a little before that. Job 38, 7 says, the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. So maybe there was some noise right before creation. I don't know how you line up those things chronologically. But uh, the Bible does say that all things in heaven and in earth were created in seven days. So when the morning stars were created, when 
the angels were created. I'll let you to decide that. I have here a list of times when we should be quiet, when we are expected to be quiet. Habakkuk 2.20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. There's a difference in the way that we come into the church house and how we would go into a sales barn. I believe there's a difference there. It should be a, a reverence and a, a, a quietness. It's okay to greet each other in the morning with the Lord's blessings and good morning and how are you and those kinds of things. But it, it should not be a noisy if affair, I think, when we come to church. It should be already quieting down as we come. And we enter the auditorium silently. And then we take our seats and we meditate. And we get in the mode of worship, silence. When I was a boy, our deacon would have the devotions and then we would have a kneeling prayer. That kneeling prayer was often, I almost said most times, I'm not sure that that's correct, but often it was a silent prayer. We would all be on our knees and it would be silent. And then the deacon would pray one or two sentences in Jesus' name, amen, and we would all get back up in our seats again. I haven't experienced that lately, but I remember that. And uh, the anticipation for when is the deacon going to end this prayer? It's kind of a suspense, and you'd listen. When is he going to speak again? And eventually he did. And then we took our seats. It was a precious time where all the congregation was, uh, was supposed to be praying silently while the deacon prayed silently we all were to be praying as a boy I was listening for the next noise today there is uh, what is called a moment of silence it's a substitute for a, a time of prayer and because our society is becoming more secular and non-religious they substitute a moment of silence for a uh, prayer. It's good to have silence. Singing reverently without musical instruments is a blessing to us. I don't know how many of you may have visited a church service where they have musical instruments or maybe even a band. And the Musical instruments are so loud that you can hardly hear the people singing. That is a distraction in my mind, and I just enjoy our a cappella singing. And the singing that I listen to that is recorded, I enjoy the a cappella. I don't think it's wrong to have musical instruments, but I just enjoy the a cappella singing, to use the, the instrument that God gave us and to praise him with that one, that instrument. Church services are to be conducted decently 
and in order, according to the Congregational Order of 1527. That was the Swiss brethren that put that together. And they said there should be one speaker at a time and all the us, others shall listen quietly. One speaker at a time. That was the, the Congregational Order of 1527. It was the first of the, uh, if you've heard of the, the Amish Adnung, or if you want to say it in English, Ordnung, but it's a church order, Congregational Order 1527. There's a series of those, and uh, one of those, I think it was a third one, that uh, was printed, had some rules in there about trapping and, and, uh, and hunting. I don't know what it said. I, I tried to find it. I can't find it. But uh, someday maybe I'll come across what it was that they, they said about hunting and trapping. But in there it said that one person should speak at a time in church services. Now that doesn't mean that when your preachers are up here and they preach and they say something that you really agree with that you can't say amen and, uh, until they take a breath. You, know, you, you can uh, do that. And uh, that's not, uh, I believe, against the teaching. How do we learn to sit quietly like this? I, I see these children and, and younger ones. They're, they're sitting so quietly like they should. Where did you learn it? You know, one way that we can practice for that is in our family worship, where the children are not on the floor pushing trucks and tractors around and playing with dollies and that kind of thing. They're sitting quietly and participating, helping to sing, to read a scripture if they're called on to read some verses or whatever, taking their turn to pray, whatever. They, Family worship is, in a sense, a practice for how we behave ourselves in church and to, to learn to do that. Well, there is also the thing that we refer to as the silencing of a minister. That's when a minister sins and uh, grievously and his ministry needs to be taken from him or suspended, and we say that he is silenced not to, to preach the word for a time. 1 Timothy 2.11 says that women are to learn in silence with all subjection. That means that women are not to be called to be pastors. But I believe that there is scriptures also that say that the older women are to teach, uh, teach the younger ones. There is a place for teaching, and I believe that Sunday school and Bible school classes uh, could be a place for that in uh, certain settings. I'm talking about summer Bible schools or things like that. <clears throat> the first one, is the place to keep silence is in the house of worship. We sing the song sometimes before Jehovah's awful throne. I like to substitute the word awesome in there before Jehovah's awesome throne. When we come before the throne of God in prayer, we come silently. Revelation 8.1, when the, he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of an hour. 
I heard of a woman who was known for being a prayer warrior and that she had a record of answered prayers beyond that of the, the average person. And a man went with to visit her with a, a problem that he was facing and asked her to pray uh, for him about this problem. And she listened to what the problem was and then she said, okay, let's pray. And then she was quiet. And he said, aren't you going to pray for my concern? And she said, oh, hush. I was just coming before the throne. And I have to start all over now. So she was quiet in approaching God's throne. We are to come boldly before the throne, but we are to come reverently also. It's God, a holy God, and to come before his throne and Sometimes in silent meditation, just thinking, just reading a scripture, and silently meditating on that, thinking about it in silence, and let God speak. The third time that I have when we should be silent is when there is nothing good to say. Job's three friends came before him and they criticized him severely and accused him of doing bad things, wrong things, of sinning and being a great transgressor. And Job said to them, Mark me and be astonished and lay your hand upon your mouth. Just, just be quiet. Lay your hand over your mouth. Elihu apparently did that. I'm not sure if he put his hand over his mouth, but he listened quietly. When the others were done, Elihu had listened and he thought, and then he brought out his comments. And God did not condemn Elihu for what he said, but he did the other three. He told them that they should go back and apologize to Job and confess that they had spoken wrongly. And God spoke to Job, and Job took his own advice. And he said, I am vile, what shall I answer thee? I will lay my hand upon my mouth. So he took his own advice and did it, laid his hand upon his mouth and listened to what God said. Psalm 31, 18, let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. The man that I heard say that he was driving down the road and came to a red light, and uh, there was a car in front of them, that when the light changed green, that car didn't start to go, and, and his uh, father was uh, fussing about this, and he said, what, are we going to sit here all day? When are we going to go? Come on, the light's green, let's go. And the little boy in the back seat said, 
you have anything good to say? <laughs> when we don't have anything good to say, we should be quiet. We live in a noisy world. The fourth one I have is that we are to be the quiet of the land. Leading a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty and good is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. It's good to have silence sometimes. There was a family who went on a journey with a long trip. And each member of the family chose a CD to play on the way while they were going. And the, the agreement was that they would take turns listening to the CD that the, each one family member had picked. Though so they listened to the wife's CD and all the children, and they came to the one that the dad had picked and he picked a blank one. That would be my choice sometimes too when I'm driving, just to have quiet and have a blank one, just to think. Number five, when we should be quiet is when we are under severe criticism. The Fifth Amendment says that we have a right to keep silence. However, that silence can indicate, when we are being accused, can indicate that we are guilty. And so we don't want to uh, maybe be quiet and think about pleading the Fifth Amendment because it could be used as an admission of guilt. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2 for just a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. Talking here to servants, verse 18, servants be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward those that are hard to deal with. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience sake toward God endure grief suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it when ye be buffeted for your faults, yet ye take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, that is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that we should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. He did not revile in return when he was afflicted. He was oppressed, Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 42, 2, He shall not cry, nor lift up, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Pilate asked him, Answerest thou nothing? Don't you know that I have power to release you or to, to uh, 
have you crucified? And Jesus uh, finally responded to him and said, you would have no power except it was given to you from above. But Jesus was quiet before Herod when he was being accused. And all those people were accusing him. And he was quiet. Sometimes quietness when we are being accused is the best thing. Someone told me that the best thing to do when somebody rakes you over the coals is let them speak. And then when they're done, say, thank you for letting me know how you feel. And let it that. I have that to learn. Because my nature is to want to defend myself. And I feel so ashamed of it so many times when I do it. Why didn't I just be quiet like Jesus was? He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone. Were you and me? Silence. Well, the end of that verse in Ecclesiastes 3.7 says that there is a time to speak. I'm glad it says that. that we, we do get time to speak. I have here five times when it's time to speak. In the common communication of life. A man to have friends must show himself friendly. A lady to have friends must show herself friendly. A child to have friends, you need to talk to people. If you want to have friends, talk with them. I have a granddaughter that when uh, her parents take her to uh, some place that she's never been before, she says, do you think I'll find any friends there? And it doesn't take her long until she has a friend. And she'll come I to her mom and say, I found a friend. Well, she's a friendly little girl. And that's the way she makes friends. And that's how we make friends, to talk with people. Now, we have different natures. And uh, there, there are some who talking comes hard for them. They just don't seem to like to talk. They'd rather hear you. And then there are those of us who would, well, maybe I'll let it at that. Number two, when is it time to talk? When we're struggling emotionally. Psalm 39. I have four verses here. Psalm 39, verses 1 to 4. I said... I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. I was dumb with silence. I held my peace even from good and my sorrow was stirred. My heart was hot within me while I was musing. The fire burned. Then spoke I with my tongue. Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am struggling emotionally. A fire is burning within. And he waited. And as he was waiting and holding back, the fire burned brighter and brighter and hotter and hotter. 
and finally he spoke with his tongue. Now, thankfully, when he spoke, he spoke to the Lord and said, make me to know my days. There are too many of us that when the fire burns hotly within us and then we open our mouths and that heat comes out. And that's where the problem is. That makes others hot then too. And then we have a real thawing out going on. Well, beyond that, a boiling. And that's a problem. When we hold our emotions in, it's good to share. If we are struggling emotionally, share with the Lord. Share with somebody. If you're struggling, you have a problem, and you don't know what to do about it, talk to somebody and share it. Young people, share it with your parents. Those of us who are married, share it with your partner, with your spouse. Share with your minister. Share with somebody that you can confide in and get some help. We should speak when we are struggling emotionally before it gets uncontrollable. Number three is when confession should be done. Psalm 32, just back a few pages in your Bible. If you were at uh, 39, now we'll go back to 32, verse 3. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long, and this is because of conviction. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. We need to speak. The time to speak is when we have sinned, and to say, I am sorry. One of the things that bothered me when I was a young man was that I went to church with a lot of older people. Well, they were in their, yeah, they were older people. They were in their 40s, a lot of them. But I had never heard some of them ever confess sin. And I went, don't these people ever sin? Why don't they confess? Young people were confessing, but... The older ones weren't. And, and, and I, I've gone to church with people my age that I don't remember them ever confessing that they sinned. Are we too slow in confessing our sin? I think we should confess them. Let the young people know that we have struggles too and, and we fail, we sin. And we're sorry about it. And we're not different from you young people. We we. We have our struggles. One of them can be uh, the sin of uh, the pride of life in which the young people would do it like I did. They'd have it much better if they'd raise their children the way I raised mine. Their children wouldn't act the way they do. Well, we forget how our children acted sometimes maybe. But to confess the sins that we commit and to let others know that I am struggling. I'm fighting the battle. I'm, I'm fighting a war. I'm winning some battles. I'm losing some. 
but I'm not giving up in the war. The disciples held their peace when they were by the way. Why? Because it's disputed among themselves as who was to be the greatest. And Jesus said to them, what were you talking about? And the Bible says they held their peace. They didn't want to tell him what they, what they were doing. But he knew, and he brought it out and told them that the greatest are those who are the least among them. Achan said, I have sinned, and thus and thus have I done. He didn't just say, well, I sinned. No, but he said, I did this and I did this, and he, he described what he had done. I believe that whenever a confession is made to a congregation, it's good to say what the person did. I don't think that we have to have the dates and, and all the details and, and all this of, of what the person did that they are confessing. But the congregation should not be questioning, oh, what did he do? Did he tell a liar? Did he rob a bank? Just, just what was it? He failed in his Christian life. What did he do? And let him know, general sense at least, what it was that, that he did. And to remove the, the doubt uh, to the offense. Not all the details, but should be known what it was that was done. Number four. When testifying should be done. We have those lepers that were outside the wall of the, the city of Samaria and the Syrians left their tents and left all that food and clothing behind and donkeys and I'm not sure what all, I didn't check what all they left behind but it was a lot of stuff. And those lepers went out to the Syrian camp and here the Syrians were not there and they started eating and they, they started taking advantage and they carried some stuff away and then they said, you know what we're doing is not good. We have to tell the people in Samaria who are starving of from hunger that, that uh, well, that's what you start from, but that there's food out here. And they did. They testified. And those Israelites went out from Samaria. The Samaritans went out. And there they found all that food. We have a gospel message here. And we ought to be testifying of the bread of life and the living water. And talking about Jesus, there's testifying to be done, and we need to do that with some talking as well. Isaiah 62.1, For Zion's sake will I not hold my peace, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness, and the salvation thereof as the lamp that burneth. I'm not going to hold my peace, I am going to testify. I hope that's our witness here. That's our testimony here today. That we're going to testify. We're not going to be silent. But we will present Jesus to a lost world. Isaiah 62, 6. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. You shall make mention of the Lord. Keep not silence. Acts 4, 20. The disciples told the council, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We can't hold it back. We are going to preach in the name of Jesus. The fifth one, 
goes along with the fourth one, when an opportunity to teach the gospel presents itself. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go ye therefore into all the world and teach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. And he said, all power is given unto me. Whenever, if you check your martyr's mirror and the testimony that those Anabaptist martyrs gave when they were called before the councils and they, they were called to give an answer, why are you teaching believers baptism instead of infant baptism? They, this is the most quoted verse in the martyr's mirror in defense of believer's baptism. It's in there lots and lots and lots of times that different of those Anabaptist martyrs gave this and they said, there's a sequence here. Go, teach, baptize, teach some more. And that's a chronological order. And we have, a person can't be taught unless they understand. When they understand, well, then baptize them and teach them some more. There's nurturing to be done after that. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, Mark 16, 17. When the, uh, an opportunity comes to present the gospel, to teach the gospel, when that opportunity presents itself, we are to do it. I don't know what your practice I might get in trouble here right in the very end of the message but I don't know what you do here or what your, your thinking is though maybe I'll, I'll uh, be in trouble here but when I read this verse go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature then I don't take that to mean that if somebody some Mennonite church is not practicing nonconformity the way I do that I would say, no, I can't come and preach to you. Because Jesus said, preach the gospel to every creature. And so if I get a phone call and it sounds like a creature on the other end of the line, Jesus said, go and preach for him. And I can't, feel, I can't say no without feeling guilty unless it doesn't fit in my schedule. But if it fits in my schedule, Jesus said, go preach to those creatures. That's what I'm doing here this morning. And I hope that uh, the Lord blesses you in spite of the messenger.